24 through 31. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each, of, each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." All right. If you'll raise your Bible with me, we'll say this declaration together. This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. I will live by every command. Amen. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> We love seeing all the young people active in church. Don't you guys love to see it? <clears throat> it's awesome. Well, welcome to Acts week eight. We're nearing the end of the study. I don't know about you, but I'm sad about it. I hate endings. And this is week eight. And so Pastor Ron will, next week and the week after, he'll close everything out. And I don't know about you, like I just said, I've so enjoyed studying this book of the Bible. Have you guys learned a lot, got into the book of Acts? I know for me, it just makes the letters of the New Testament just make more sense, being able to know how churches were planted and to, for me, know exactly where they are on the map now and how the letters were sent there. The book of Acts was the beginning of what you see today. And I, I praise God that here we are, thousands of miles here in America, worshiping the same Jesus that these believers worshiped in Acts. And so today, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to study Acts 16 in great detail today, but I do want to give you the context that surrounds it. And so last week we talked about, if you were here, we talked about Paul's first missionary journey and how he traveled over a thousand miles to spread the gospel and establish churches. And after going back, after the journey ended, he went back to Antioch home base. He would eventually, after some time, gear up for a second missionary journey. And one of the reasons for this missionary journey the second time was because of what you actually find in chapter 15. Now, chapter 15 could be a whole sermon in and of itself, um, but we don't have time for that today. But basically, in chapter 15, what you see is a gathering of all of the original apostles, 
Peter and all those guys, and then many pastors of churches that had been planted, they all gathered together in what's known in history and in the Bible as the Jerusalem Council. And what was happening is there was disagreement among all of the believers on how to handle these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people that were coming into the kingdom receiving Christ. And what some Jews were saying is that Gentiles should become Jews to be truly Christian, meaning Gentiles should strip away their cultural identity and they should do things like get circumcised and look like a Jew and participate in the rituals of the law of Moses. And if they don't do that, then they are not truly Christian. This was the stance of a lot of the believers. And there was disagreement for many reasons. And so, after much debate and conversation and discussion, the early church, and again, this wasn't just like five or six people, this was lots of people. It was almost as if a room like this somehow in an organized way was hearing different people's perspective. And the scripture says this, and the scripture says this, and what about this, and what about this prophecy? And after much conversation, they come to a conclusion in chapter 15 that Gentiles should not be required to be circumcised, but rather should view the New Testament, New Covenant circumcision as a matter of the heart. Meaning they should refrain from things that God calls sin, like sexual immorality, worshiping idols, and on and on and on. And so the new covenant circumcision was a matter of the heart. It was a cutting away of the inner heart. And so, in light of this conclusion, Paul gears up to travel on a second missionary journey to spread the news. Because what he saw in the first missionary journey was so many Gentiles come into the kingdom. And so he heads out, and almost ready to go, him and Barnabas, you remember his partner, they get into a disagreement. The way the Greek words it, it was a sharp disagreement, may have included getting in each other's faces, I don't really know why or how it got to that level, but they disagreed over bringing someone with them, and they agreed to disagree, they split ways, and they actually formed two different teams, and Paul and Barnabas split, and a disciple named Silas joins Paul, and now the second missionary journey begins. And by the way, Paul and Barnabas would reconcile, and they loved each other to the end. They didn't just, in a petty way, hold grudges to their grave. They reconciled. That's what the Lord calls us to do. And so, the second journey begins, and so I want to quickly show you a map. Last week, we covered every stop on the journey and kind of touched different details. We're not going to do that today. We don't have time. This morning, I spent all morning deleting things from my notes because we have lots to do today, like baptize 11 people. It's going to be awesome. So I just want to briefly, as quickly as I can, show you with my laser pointer, home base. Uh, again, this is where they start. They go this way this time on the first missionary journey, and they actually, the first four stops, so here, 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 and here, these first four stops may be a little familiar to you because last week, these are the places that the first missionary journey started. And so when they were traveling through these areas, they were just checking on the churches, seeing how they're doing. Are they in order? Is there any problems? Do they need any help? Do they need encouragement? Are people fearful of persecution? How can they pray? Paul and his team, they minister to these churches. 
And a fun fact, when they were here in Lystra, this is where Paul, this is in the Bible where you see Timothy step into the picture and he actually joins Paul. On the second missionary journey is where Paul brings Timothy in, invites him, hey, come with me, I'm ministering across the nations, follow me. And Timothy says, okay. And as a young man, Timothy follows Paul and joins him. And so as they leave Antioch of Pisidia, or EOP, if you were here last week, uh, they start to go this way, but the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go this way. And so the Holy Spirit tells them to go this way. And so they travel around. They are forbidden for some reason by the Spirit to preach here. They get up here and they sail across. Or actually, when they're here, Paul has a vision. And the vision is in chapter 16. We won't cover it in detail today. But basically, the vision was the Spirit of God telling Paul, hey, go into Macedonia and bring the gospel there. This is Macedonia. And so while they're here, Paul gets the vision. He goes all the way over here, and he travels through all of these places, one of them being Philippi, which is what we're going to talk about in detail today. But after there, they come on down into Athens. They go to Corinth, you know, First and Second Corinthians. That's where they go. He goes here to Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. That's where that comes from. And then they sail all the way home, stop in Jerusalem, and then go back to home base. And that's the second missionary journey by Paul. And all of those stops is what you see in chapters 16 through 18. So in three chapters, you see a bunch of stuff crammed into what's known as the second missionary journey. The, the amazing part, if you remember, Last week, the first missionary journey was roughly around 1,000 miles. This missionary journey was over 3,000 miles that they traveled, mostly by foot. And to put that into perspective, imagine you're in the middle of Maine, and you have to walk all the way across the country to San Francisco, California. That is roughly 3,000 miles. That's how far they had to travel mostly by foot with a little bit of boat riding in between. But can we just think about that? Can we just praise the Lord that Paul, in his faithfulness, would go through that level of sacrifice to spread the gospel? And that's what we see. And so with that 3,000-foot view in mind, let's go to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. And what we see here is where the church of Philippi was born. And so as Paul travels into the city of Philippi, the gospel begins to invade the city. And in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11, we, we are introduced to Paul's first encounter with a lady named Lydia. And so we read, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and, following, and, and the following day to Neapolis, and, ne and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Philippi was like the L.A. of the area. Lots of people, big city, lots of life, lots of crazy, lots of things to do. And Paul says, we remained in the city some days. Now, I don't know if you noticed something, 
But did you see the, the point of view change there? Starting in verse 11, the point of view shifts. Prior to verse 11, in chapter 16, it was the book of Acts is written in third person. And they, and they, and they went, and then they went here. But now all of a sudden, right here in this verse, it shifts to first person. And we, and we, and we. What this indicates is that the writer, Luke, has now joined the Apostle Paul, and he is an eyewitness to what is occurring here in chapter 16. Prior to that, it was more interviews. So you guys went here, what, what happened then? And then that happened, and you went into this city. And so now, Luke is we. We went into Philippi. We stayed here many days. And there's probably so many things that happened in this city. But Luke decides to include three stories. And these three stories are three completely different people with three completely different backgrounds, different ethnicity, different cultures. And what you see in chapter 16 is Luke record how these three individuals come to Jesus. And so the first person, like I said, we see is Lydia. And we see her story in verses 13 through 15. And so we read, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, please come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so, what you see here, basically, Philippi had no Jewish synagogue. In all the other cities, Paul would first try to find the Jewish headquarters, the synagogue, and so it was custom, if there was no synagogue in a city, you would go to the outside of the city to pray. And so Paul, knowing that, he was ready to go and pray and spend some time worshiping the Lord. And so as he travels outside of the location they were at, at Philippi, he stumbles across a women's Bible study, a women's C group, which by the way, you should sign up for C groups. This is what's happening. They were having a C group on the outside of Philippi. And what we know about Lydia is she's a part of this group. And what we also know is that Lydia was Asian because Thyatira was from the province of Asia. What we know about her is that she was a seller of purple goods, which was associated always with royalty. So she made bank. She was rich, extremely rich. And we know this because she has a home in Philippi and Thyatira. It's like having a home in New York and L.A. If you have a home in New York and L.A., you most likely have some money. This was Lydia. She was driven. She was intellectual. She was very creative. She was business smart. She was a successful woman making bank. And notice the Bible calls her a worshiper of God. Now, it's easy to think, oh, she was Christian. That's the, a worshiper of God, that terminology more so means an agnostic. She knew a God exists. She had rejected paganism. She had rejected atheism. She knew there was a God, but she didn't know him. But she was most likely a moral person. 
she, she didn't want to get into the craziness. She was considered a good person, but someone who had not surrendered her life to Christ. And so here comes Paul. He barges his way into the women's C group and shares the gospel and meets Lydia at her level. He carefully presents the gospel to her. He engages in conversation with these ladies in a conversational, very intellectual way. And what it says is that the Spirit of God allowed Lydia to receive and understand what was being said. And so Paul and his team, they're celebrating. Here is the a convert here in Philippi. And they get to go to Lydia's house, which most likely was no small, ordinary house. It was most likely a type of house you would watch on the old show MTV Cribs. I don't even know if that's around anymore. But this is the type of house they would find themselves in with Lydia, where she would probably serve them food and give them each their own room, their own bed of some sort, and she would take care of everything. And this was the first conversion in Philippi, Lydia. And so I pause here and I ask, I wonder if you relate to Lydia. Maybe you grew up in church, your parents, you know, forced you to go to church, you had strong morals, you never really got distracted by the ways of the world, you've been pretty committed to being a moral person, a good person, and along the way of that life, the Lord just kind of met you there. And he revealed his love to you. And, and then now you not only are just a moral person coasting through life, you are a life for the glory of God. If that's your story, that's Lydia's story. But also simultaneous to that, I wonder if you are here and a moral person, but you don't profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe church is just what good people do. And that's just kind of where you find yourself. I want you to please see from Lydia that it's not enough to please God to just be a good person. It's not enough to please God to just be a good moral churchgoer. The only one that can save all of us from our sin, from our separation from God, to appease God's wrath is Jesus. Is Jesus. Your parents' faith can't save you. Just being a good person that goes to church can't save you. The only one that can save you, the moral and the immoral alike, is Christ. And this is what Lydia was faced with. She, as a response to the gospel, gives her entire being to Jesus. And so I want to point out two things that we learn from Lydia and her story. Number one, this is just my, my takeaways. Number one is that some people are reached by God by engaging their intellect. Some people are reached by God by actually engaging the intellect. So Paul follows the leading of the Spirit and he takes the opportunity to get on Lydia's level. And what he does is he has a conversation with her. She most likely asked questions. Explain this to me. Explain this to me. Wait a second. Explain this to me. Wait, the Bible said, explain that to me. I have a question. And he had a conversation with her at the women's sea group by the river. And what happens is as a result of Paul getting on her level, 
engaging her intellect, she gives her life to Jesus. And so the same could be said today. Our society is filled with these people. I would argue a lot of the young generation is this. A lot of the young generation, they don't just take things at face value. They ask why a lot. They want things to be explained. They ask really hard questions. I've seen this over and over. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to research that one. I don't know. I don't know what the Bible says or what that means. They ask hard questions. They want to go deep. They want to go beyond the surface. It's not just the young generation. It's all generations have these kinds of people in there. And so my encouragement is that we would recognize this. Don't shrug off the people with the questions. Don't just dismiss them as just, you know, heady seekers of knowledge. Engage their intellect. And through that, sometimes Lydia's are saved as a result of it. And so my encouragement, pray for these people. Get in the weeds with them. If you can't hang with them, send them my way. I love these conversations. I love getting into the weeds with people. But some people will be reached by engaging their intellect. Put that in your pocket. A second thing we see from Lydia is that she's a wonderful example of generosity and hospitality. As a result of accepting the gospel, she opens up her home to the missionaries. And she probably paid for everything. And her home will become the gathering place at the beginning stages of the church of Philippi. So as this church is born, again, this is no small house. This is MTV Cribs level house. Some of the houses I've seen on Cribs are bigger than our church building. And so the church of Philippi would use this massive home as their gathering place as the church was born. And so a commentary I read, Tony Merida, you heard him a lot last week. He says, once again in Acts, we see the use of one's home as a wonderful tool for ministry. This is a reminder that we should all seek to practice hospitality in order to serve the church. Extending hospitality isn't the same as entertaining, however. Entertaining shows off. Hospitality shares. Use your home to serve others not to wow others with financial success or decorating abilities or an escape from socializing. Use your home to serve others to advance the kingdom. Amen. I say it all the time. Some of the best ministry happens around tables. And, and, and the church from its beginning rapidly exploded because of faithful disciples willing to open up their house and to have meals with people, bold enough to share the gospel with people. And so again, what we see from Lydia is that we too can open up our homes and see our homes even as places to advance the kingdom. Amen? So that's Lydia, number one. Number two, as we continue on in Acts 16, verses 16 to 18, we encounter a demon-possessed girl. So starting in verse 16, we read, as we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And so pause there. The phrase spirit of divination and fortune-telling 
is literally translated in the Greek, spirit python. Spirit python. And so according to mythology, the python guarded the temple of Apollo. And because the local people here in this place considered fortune tellers to be inspired by Apollo and the python, this is why it would be referred to as spirit python. And this, this girl was able to somehow predict the future. Most likely wasn't actually the future. She just deceived people to think it was. And so notice that the scripture tells us that she was not only demonically possessed, but she was a slave. And she had owners. Instead of feeling sorry for this demonic possessed girl, these people come along. We don't know if they're guys or girls or both. They use this demonically possessed girl to capture her and profit off of her. It's double slavery. Her slave owners treat her like property, and she's abused by a demonic spirit. She was extremely poor and in complete bondage. And in verse 17, it continues and says, She followed Paul and us us, as in Luke and the others, crying out, the lady, this demon-possessed girl cries out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Sounds like she's agreeing with them. But basically what's happening here is she's trying to convince the people that the gospel Paul was preaching was associated with all that she's associated with. This girl was trying to associate the gospel with the occult. She was walking around yelling and being loud, trying to associate the demonic with the gospel. In verse 18, I love this, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Don't miss the amazing compassion that happened here by Jesus. Jesus, through Paul, extends compassion. This girl, for who knows how long, had been in slavery to a demonic spirit, which led to people treating her as a slave to profit off of for financial gain. Who knows the physical torment she experienced from the demon, from the slave owners? Who knows if she ever experienced any type of physical abuse, sexual abuse? Who knows how isolated she probably felt as nobody would be her friend? When she walked through town, people ran from her or they ran to her solely to to hear the future and then they would run away. When she walked through town, no one looked at her, no one spoke to her. She was isolated, in bondage, in slavery, and lived this way for a long time. And the Jesus that she tries to mock and deceive others from is actually the very same Jesus that would set her free. And remember, Lydia was reached on an intellectual and conversational basis, but this girl was reached by the gospel through the power of God showing up. And Paul cast the demon out of her, and she gets radically saved as a result. 
And notice the difference in the two conversions of these two ladies. Lydia was wealthy. The slave girl was poor. Lydia was an individual of high status. The slave girl was exploited and abused. Lydia's religious and moral. The slave girl is not. She's broken and tormented by a demon and is owned by slaves. Lydia comes to faith through a quiet little women's sea group by the river. And the slave girl has a radical encounter with the power of God in front of everybody. These two ladies both were brought to faith in Jesus in two different ways, yet the same conclusion. The power of Jesus showing up. It was the power of Jesus to open up Lydia's heart to receive the gospel, and it was the power of Jesus to radically cast this demon out of this girl. And both are saved. And so I asked the question again. I wonder if you relate to Lydia. Sorry, I wonder if you relate to the slave girl. Did Jesus find you in the middle of bondage and darkness? Maybe addiction held you captive, drugs, alcohol, slavery to disgusting sin and brokenness. Is this where Jesus found you and came to you in your darkness and brokenness and pain and brought the gospel there to you? This was the slave girl's story. And Jesus goes and meets her there. But I also ask this, I wonder if you can relate to this slave girl in the sense of this is where you currently are. Are you currently in a place of addiction or brokenness and no one knows about it? Does alcohol hold you captive? Are voices tormenting you, perhaps demonic possession or, op- or oppression? Are there are pills that you, you just can't get away from? Is pornography the secret sin that you are a slave to and nobody knows about it? And every time you think you're going to bring it to the light, you're met with these voices that say, no, 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 being in the darkness is best. They don't need to know about that. And since I'm here on this topic of pornography, can I yet again remind you that pornography is the funder of the sex trafficking industry. If you haven't seen the movie Sound of Freedom, go watch it. The sexual sin of pornography that holds many captive is funding and fueling an industry that is holding captive thousands of women and children. And every click of a website is your indirect funding of the horrific industry that holds thousands in slavery. So not only does pornography have you bound, the industry has these women and children bound. And this is the way Satan is operating through this industry. And I will not ever stop preaching from this stage and in any other context the Lord allows me to say this industry has to come to its knees. And I wrote in my notes, I knew you would clap at that. But, If you find yourself bound by pornography and you just heard those claps, don't let those claps reaffirm to you, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to tell anyone. No. Bring it to the light. Men, women, 
young and old alike, bring it to the light. And it's not just pornography. I just know the statistics, nine out of 10, according to statistics, nine out of 10 of us in this room are, are bound by it. That's just what the stats tell us. I hope that this church just defies the odds and defies statistics. But if you are bound by pornography, alcohol, addiction, any type of sin, and you, like the slave girl, find yourself in need of someone that can set the captives free, we know his name. It's Jesus. You can come to Jesus, run to Jesus, cling to Jesus, hold on to him for dear life, and know you can come as you are, and he will transform you. I know it because I've seen it. I've experienced it firsthand. So come to Jesus. This is what the demonic possessed girl did, and now she finds herself in Scripture forever as the one that was set free by Jesus. And this was her story. And just one simple point I'll point out about her is that her story shows us that nothing, nothing is stronger than the power of God. Yeah. No demonic spirit is more powerful. Satan's not more powerful. No addiction is too powerful. Drugs aren't more powerful. Pornography sure as heck ain't more powerful. Jesus can set you free. The power of God can set you free. Okay. I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do. You gotta stay the course. Stay on track. Okay, number three. So we met Lydia. We've met, met the slave owner. And by the way, two ladies, two powerful women that the gospel reaches. And again, if anyone has this weird thing about Christianity just hates women, the first two people that we meet in Philippi are ladies that were used as key instruments to build the church of Philippi. And by the way, the only church... According to our knowledge with the letters we have in the New Testament, it was the only church that did not receive a correction from Paul. They were faithful. They were disciplined. They didn't receive correction. And two of the leaders were Lydia and this slave girl. But now we meet our third person. In the end of chapter 16, we see the gospel reach one more. Paul, when he casts the demon out of the slave girl, it made her owners furious, and because they could no longer profit off of her fortune-telling abilities, fortune-telling abilities, they get angry, and they drag Paul and Silas, and most likely Luke and the others, they drag them before the leaders. In Acts 16, 20 through 24, we read this, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd then joined in on attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks." 
Paul and Silas, they're attacked, they're beaten with rods, and one of the individuals in on it all is Roman jailer. This jailer participated in beating the missionaries, leaving them swollen with wounds all over their body, blood spilling out, they're covered with blood. It would have most likely been impossible for Paul and Silas to lay down on their backs after receiving this beating. And this jailer, he keeps the prisoners as secure as he possibly can, which meant he put them into the deepest dungeon area of the prison. And he just added to the punishment by putting their feet in stocks. And these stocks were used as instruments of torture. Had a number of holes for the legs, which allowed for severe stretching of the torso and created just excruciating pain. And this Roman jailer was a part of all of this. This Roman jailer inflicted all of this physical pain to Paul and Silas. And then in verse 25 through 34, we read what happens next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So pause there. In physical discomfort, Paul and Silas are praising God, singing. An earthquake opens the prison doors and they could have bounced. However, the Spirit, for some reason, leads Paul and Silas to stay. And Paul sees the jailer show up thinking that everybody had escaped. And this jailer knew that his life was now ruined because prisoners escaped on his watch. And so he draws his sword to kill himself. And Paul is looking at it. He sees it happening. And so can we be honest? Wouldn't it have made sense if Paul just let the guy go through with it? This is the guy that just beat Paul. Ripped the flesh off of his body. Tied him up in major discomfort. Paul's bloody. He's dirty. He's probably hungry. He's probably thirsty. He's in pain because of this jailer. And he could have just considered him an enemy of the cross and let him die. But instead, Paul, moved by the compassion of Jesus Christ, operating in extreme mercy and forgiveness, we read in verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down to his knees before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, the wounds that he had just inflicted himself. He is now washing. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It wasn't engaging the intellect that got this guy. It wasn't a powerful deliverance from, demonic, from a demonic spirit. Ultimately, this guy was reached simply by an example and an act of mercy. And this mercy that this man received from Paul was a tangible and visual representation of the mercy of Jesus. And this guy radically encounters the gospel and is radically transformed, and not just him, him and his household. And what once was an enemy of the gospel now is a builder of the gospel. And this Roman jailer enters the kingdom and is a part of the formation of the Church of Philippi. And so as I close, you have three different stories, three different people, three different backgrounds, all result in the same conclusion. Jesus reaches them through the gospel, and they commit their lives to Christ. And I think, again, the reason Luke includes this in Scripture is to show us that there is nobody outside the bounds of the gospel. All can be saved, all can be reached, all can find mercy and forgiveness and grace and peace and reconciliation with God at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a rich business owner named Lydia, it doesn't matter if you're possessed by a demon and in slavery to captives, it doesn't matter if you're a Roman jailer, all can find mercy in Christ, and so it is with us today. If you don't know Jesus, come on. <laughs> come to Jesus. You have not disqualified yourself. You have not, there's no asterisks at the bottom of the Bible saying, except for you, you know what you did. That's not there. I thought it was a lot of my life. I thought, yeah, not for me though. No, that's a lie. Come to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus. If you do know Jesus, let's get to work. Let's go. Because there are more to be reached with the gospel. Maybe it's engaging their intellect. Maybe it's just seeing the power of God operate through you. Maybe it's just your example and your Christ-like mercy and forgiveness. I don't know. But as the Spirit leads us, I pray our lives would have more stories of Lydia's slave girls being set free and jailers having a powerful encounter with the gospel. Amen? Let's stand together. Well, there's so much that could be said, but I won't say it. <laughs> We have tons of people to baptize today. But if I just bring all of this into one simple thing, I do. I repeat what I just said. If you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus. If you've been away from Jesus, come back to Jesus. Because what we're about to see is just like Lydia, just like the slave girl, just like the Roman jailer, we're about to celebrate 11 more 
that have been reached by the gospel, reached by Jesus, and their stories are all different. Some are little kids whose parents just kind of kept bringing them and exposing them to the gospel, bringing them to church. They were kind of just discipled into salvation, even at a young age, and we're going to baptize them. Some of them have lives of rebellion, lives of deep, dark, find themselves in the mess of life, and Jesus meets them there and redeems them. Some of them, I mean, on and on and on. Some of them have friends that just surrounded them, and even though they kept rebelling and distancing themselves, the friends just kept saying, hey, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. We're going to see one young man baptized by one of his friends and his friend group around him. So awesome. All variations of all different stories. But the book of Acts, what we see is so many individuals coming into the kingdom. And we're just going to keep celebrating that very same thing today. But I can't help but say, if you find yourself away from Christ and you want to know him, I want to pray with you right now. And if you want to jump in on the water baptisms, let's just do it. Just come over here and find Nina. Find someone over in this area and tell them I'm ready. I'm going to do it in my jeans. It'll be awesome. Let me pray. And then we will transition as our kids come into the room. Can we give it up for our kids? Hey. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. We thank you for... Being like you, we sang earlier, you're the same God. You're the same God that reached Leah. You're the same God that set the slave girl free. You're the same God that revealed your mercy and grace to the Roman jailer. And you're the same God that has reached these 11 individuals. And you're the same God that can still forgive today. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room that does not know you, they are faking it. They are just coasting through life. They really have never given their lives to you, or maybe they really have found themselves as anti-God, yet they somehow find themselves here in this church. Lord, I pray you would reach yet another. Holy Spirit, open their hearts to know you. And God, I pray for the boldness to come and share so that we can get alongside them and help them walk the walk and grow closer to you, Jesus. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate Jesus? Okay, so the worship team is going to lead us in some more worship, and we are going to begin celebrating some baptisms. And so every time somebody is baptized, just go nuts. We're joining heaven and going crazy about more coming into the kingdom.